0: Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Very Cold Lasagna Podcast. Your filthy casual place for all the filthy casual takes on the world of sports. I am Dylan Lasagna and welcome to a series of episodes. The first of what is to be a few of series of episodes for what is my one of my favorite times of what is the NFL offseason and pretty much one of my favorite times Of the year for (laughs) the podcast, and that is NFL season recap month. The one time of the year where we get to sit down and you know revisit the season that was the 2022 NFL season. So kick back, relax, watch, listen however you're consuming very cold lasagna because we're going to go back in time, we're going back, baggle to recap all 31 teams and their seasons, their stories, and their journeys in in this uh very wacky NFL season. So, you're probably wondering if you're a first-time listener, if you're a first-time viewer, you're probably wondering what there's 32 teams. There are 32 teams in the NFL. Why only 31? Why why are we missing one team specifically? Well, if you go back, if you uh, listen to my podcast. I already re- reviewed one team. I already did a season recap of one team, and that's my team, my personal team, my favorite team, the San Francisco 49ers. I did a whole uh, shebang uh, recap of their season after, like a week after they lost the NFC Championship game, just like, like, like I did last year when I debuted season recap month. I first did the 49ers um, last year, and then... Yeah, there you go. That's why we're doing 31 teams um, last year. That's why we're doing all 31 teams this year. Again, after I reviewed um, the 49ers uh, 2022 season. So, yeah, that's basically where we're at (laughs) with the season recaps. So, pretty much how it's going to go this this time around is pretty much how it went last year. We're going to start off with the worst to the best in the draft order. Obviously, that excludes my 49ers. Um, when it came to the final three, uh, the final or final four, excuse me, and then we're gonna divide up um, each episode into I'd say about five or five or six, like last year. Um, obviously, you know, like with the worst and the best of however many teams there are in this weird conjured up order. <laughs> so, yeah, stick around. Make sure you grab some. Something to eat, something to drink, to consume. And before we start, I'd like to know how your team has done this past season and what you think your team should do in the offseason, whether it's um, the Bears, the Lions, the the Chiefs, the reigning defending Chiefs. We're going to be talking about all these teams in the next month or so in these episodes of Very Cold Lasagna. I would... Love to know what you guys, your guys' personal thoughts are, um, however you can. And to do so, make sure you um, comment, share, like the video if you're watching this on YouTube. And if you're not, um, if you're listening to the audio side of things, whether it's on Apple, uh, Spotify, Anchor FM, Google Podcasts, make sure to rate and review it and uh, follow the show on social media on Twitter and Instagram at Very Cold Lasagna, where you can also send me a message there um leaving your thoughts on the show so yeah that being said let's get right into our 2022 nfl season recaps starting with the worst of the worst yes that is right ladies and gentlemen these are the six worst teams in the nfl the top six picking in the nfl draft because they sucked that much they landed into the The filth. They were the six teams that were just in the terribleness of terrible. They landed straight into dumpster town. The inductees for the straight trash, the straight dumpster fire this year. So who were those six teams who were just that bad that they landed into dumpster town? Let's find out. Starting with the one team that won it all. By losing so much. what better way to kick off NFL Season Recap Month. Here on Very Cold Lasagna. With a team that was just so bad. They know how to play the game well. And of course it's a team that played another good old year. Of say it with me now. Say it loud and proud. Bears football. Hell yeah Maggle. Bears football. The Chicago Bears were so bad. They were so incompetent. They were just that damn bad in 2022. They were the worst team in the NFL. So for the Chicago Bears, it was just that kind of year. You thought 2021 was bad where they went. I believe it was like five, five and 11 or no, five and no five and 12. Uh, I forgot they added the the 18 game season by then. No, oh, no, six and no, six and six and eleven. My apologies, six and eleven. And then it turned out exactly how I envisioned uh, back in July—a much worse year of Bears football. So, it, this is a great place to start. This is really is a great place to start. So, let's rewind back to July. Ch- Chicago came into the 2022 season. They have a new regime in uh, general manager, Ryan Poles, head coach, Matt Eberflus came in and, you know, both of them had some experience in their past roles, but for those two, it was the first time in their respective roles. And this was like, they were kind of going into a semi-important offseason because unlike with um, Ryan Pace and Matt Nagy, the previous regime, they didn't know what the hell they were doing, um, especially when it came to the then-rookie quarterback Justin Fields, whom Ryan Pace drafted. And going into this season, 2022, the goal for this year was to not only protect quarterback Justin Fields because he was sacked so much in 2021, but it was also to see how Justin Fields would develop meaningfully this year, this past year in 2022. So to do that, General Manager Ryan Poles needed to provide at least some ample support that Ryan Pace, Matt Nagy, didn't give. Solid receivers and at least some kind of pass protection. But with the bad contracts of the last regime and, well, some kind of inaction on the current one, they didn't do such. They didn't do that. And, of course, it precluded to what was to come in the regular season. And you all know what what, what happened in the regular season. <laughs> I, I I can say it so much. I wanna I wanna save my energy for it. Okay, let's save my I wanna save my energy for it. So the Bears actually, you know, they won their first uh they won well, they won their first few games, okay? They actually deceived everyone by starting two and one. They actually beat my 49ers um in a downpour that uh, what do you call it? That kind of weather. The, the It was just very bad weather. Very rainy weather where Niners fans were giving so many excuses about the rain. Um, and how Trey Lance couldn't throw in the rain. But yet Justin Fields could. Justin Fields was able to throw in the rain. Um, and then the next week after, they decided to get um, the pudding pounded on, on them by their owner. Their daddy, Aaron Rodgers in the Packers. That somehow still is on Sunday night because... Rivalry, man. Um, and then the next week, they proceed to barely, just barely beat um, the Texans. Their their old friend, Lovey Smith, just barely. So right after that, you know, they endured on a three game losing streak um, before they upset the New England Patriots on uh, Monday night. Somehow, some way, um, which is more kind of more so of the the Patriots embarrassing themselves. Um, and then they lost out the rest of the way. The Bears actually were in plenty of position to win games, but they either fell short of their comebacks or they allowed comebacks to happen. They were not a very, very good team of, you know doing one or the other. Offensively, you know, this team uh, was so heavy reliant on Justin Field's newfound rushing ability that when it came time for him for him to throw the damn ball, he was barely anywhere to be found. Like, sure, he can throw the ball. He can actually throw a solid mid-range ball. And a good deep ball, too. But it's just like his decision-making is kind of questionable. And he holds onto the ball for too long still that he gets sacked. Or he uses his legs a little too much. Blame can be placed, yes, on both Justin Fields. But a lot of blame can also be placed on the offensive coordinator, Luke Getze. ooh. ooh. Like who do some people call him gutless getzy yeah, I think that's a good name for that I like that name whoever credit whoever gets credit for that um, Because well his play calling was really bad in a lot of situations Meanwhile the offensive line was still a bad unit um, but um, a few of their linemen were still pretty okay um, not 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 slightly as as bad as last year's which was pretty terrible um, but they still allowed Justin Fields to get sacked a lot. Um, they were nearly dead last uh, defensively because of the lack of the pass rush. And it didn't help any further when they traded um, Roquan Smith and Robert Quinn uh, midseason. But, I mean, you at least you got those fat contracts out of the way. And you have a pretty bad secondary unit that couldn't net many turnovers um, during the season. So, as such, that's why you lost the last 10 of their, ga- uh, their games. And they were blown out in their final three with the injuries piling up, including to Justin Fields. So positively, though, they did end their season on the most highest of notes. They got what they wanted with being the worst of the worst. They were losing that much and in such poor fashion that they were keeping. They managed to keep pace with the Houston Texans for the first overall pick. In the 2023 NFL Draft. They were playing so much. Bears football. When the time came around. In week 18. When they were getting their asses whooped. By the Minnesota Vikings. And their backups. Not only did they lose to the Vikings. But their old friend. The same head coach that they beat. In week 3. Lovey Smith. Who knew he was going to get fired. By Houston. He Fucked over the Texans. He fucked them over so hard. He won them the game. He coached his ass off. He coached his team to win against the Colts, and he gifted Chicago the number one overall pick in the NFL draft. He said, "Fuck you, Houston. I'm giving you the. Num- I'm giving the number one overall pick to my good old Chicago Bears." And that's where they are now. Bears football ultimately reigns supreme. For the Bears. So, overall, yeah, it was a pretty shitty season for Chicago. But in the end, they seized the day with Lovey Smith returning the depth. But in the end, like overall, still, for Chicago, when you look at some aspects of it, I'd say Justin Fields, you know, he had an okay season, at least for a, from a rushing perspective. But you, you have to have some questions about how he is as a, like an actual pure passer. Like I said, he can actually throw a good deep ball, but his decision-making and actually trying to get rid of the ball at a very quicker pace, it, it can still raise some concerns. He still holds onto the ball for a little while, long while. Meanwhile, for Matt, he the head coach, you know, he makes some really weird decisions Um, he plays a mostly conservative approach at uh, a lot of the times and his offensive coordinator, Luke Getze, gets too comfortable in letting Justin fields be Lamar Jackson 2.0, but Hey, this whole team got what they wanted. They played the best bears football. They got all year long and were rewarded with the number one overall pick. And now they hold all the cards, um, in terms of what they want to do with it whether they want to get the best player available or trade trade down um, the draft the draft order and get a whole bevy of picks with it. So going into this offseason, it's another important one for um, the Ryan Poles and Matt Eberflue's regime. Because now, in this offseason, compared to the last one, you actually do have a shit ton of money to spend. You have around $97 million to go with um, from... Offloading those fat contracts from Roquan Smith and Robert Quinn. And honestly, you can break the bank as long as you spend it wisely. Because looking at your key free agents, you, you have a lot of unrestricted free agents, but none of them did anything positive. So it's hard to imagine the Bears keeping any of them unless you want some reserve pieces. And looking at some of the things they have to address this offseason, it's a lot. It is a lot for a team trying to rebuild itself, trying to stay relevant, and especially a team that's trying to get a new stadium in Chicago. So they have to address everything on defense, like getting a, a pass rushing unit back, especially if trading Roquan Smith and Robert Quinn, they just need about, just about everything. And the secondary needs a lot of help too, um, with corner Kyler Gordon and free safety Jaquan Brisker being the, Only two decent standouts in that unit. But, man, that defense really needs a lot, a lot of help. The offense needs a good amount of help, too. For Justin Fields, too. He needs help. The two biggest priorities have to be receiver and the offensive line. They did did trade for Chase Claypool for a second-round pick. I don't know why they did that, but... Claypool didn't provide a spark to the offense, like, at all. Like, Darnell Mooney and uh, Amir Chris St. Brown, like Amon Ross St. Brown's brother, um, I mean, they they were okay, but they're not really a top... They're not that number one option that Justin Fields needs. So, they need to get uh, a number one option. I think their best bet is the draft, or maybe they could still steal one in in free agency. The Bears got really got a focus then in though on getting and getting and beefing up the offensive line, especially the interior and right tackle position it's been exposed greatly for the last two years, allowing so many sacks on Justin Fields. And I think the bears could also use another backup running back behind Khalil Herbert, um, because he had an injury riddled 2022. And I do think though, the one of the biggest things that they need to do, um, before, um, for, before free agency starts, is decide what they want to do with the top pick. Do they want to actually use it, or do they want to trade down? Because there is going to be at least one team that's going to be desperate enough to trade a bunch load of their future picks to package up with their current pick to get a quarterback. You have teams like the Indianapolis Colts. You have teams like the Raiders. You have teams like the the Panthers that want to trade up get their franchise quarterback and yeah, settle in, lock in for the future. And the Bears have all the cards to play. Um in in deciding deciding what they want to do and how to determine the first round of the NFL draft. So the Bears they Bears can play all the cards. It's just a matter of how they want to do it. So overall, I mean, the Bears new regime um didn't set themselves up for 2022, um, which obviously led to an even worse year of say it with me now, Bears football. But hey, like I said, countless times, um, they they dealt at the no they sold at the trade deadline. They gave themselves a huge amount of money to spend this offseason. And now, I also forgot to mention this fact: their team president. Um, at least their former one in Ted Phillips is finally gone. So some, some Bears fans are finally rejoicing. And then they got a new team president in a former big 10 commissioner, Kevin Warren, who seems like he's going to be knowing what he's doing. And as long as he lets um, Ryan Poles and Matt, at do what they need to do on the football side, then maybe Chicago will have a little bit of hope for next season and play a little bit less of let's say it one more time one last time Bears football So next up we have the 2022 Houston Texans Now going into this 2022 many people were wondering well the Texans had themselves a pretty like headline worthy offseason but for all the wrong reasons and, well, after a dumpster fire 4-13-2021 season, people were wondering, well, it couldn't have gone worse for them, right? Right? Well, it actually kind of did. They fired David Coley, their one-and-done head coach, after one season. And rather than find a more modern candidate, a more uh, decent, uh, decent candidate that was more qualified, they promoted from within. They named uh, their defensive coordinator, uh, Lovey Smith, the new head coach. Now, keep in mind, this Texans organization almost considered um, a former quarterback who has had no prior uh, head coaching experience or let alone coaching experience at all in Josh McCown. Yeah, keep that in mind. They almost hired Josh McCown to be the head coach of the Houston Texans. But hell, um, that's not the craziest story we're going to have. Um, Later on when it comes to head coaches in the NFL. But, you know, just like the prior offseason, GM Nick Casario only got the bargain bin of reagents. But, you know, he did more of his dirty work in the draft. Um, He got like potential like pieces like uh, LSU corner, Derek Singletary Jr., um, Texas A&M tackle Kenyon Green and Alabama receiver um, John Mechie. But unfortunately for Mechie, um, he didn't play the season due to leukemia. um, Rears up that he is, um, you know recovering hopefully he's doing better to this day hopefully it's in hopefully it will be in remission i don't know if it is but hopefully it it will be at some point um the texans did find themselves in the heat of the then ongoing deshaun watson scandals at that during the point of the offseason reports were coming out that they allowed watson to do what he was doing which was really pretty bad on their part but still, they managed to trade Watson to the Cleveland Browns for a large handful of picks, which included three first-round picks. And at least for the Texans, they got the Sean Watson off their backs. The problem is they have the stent; they had the stench of him in in the organization still because, well, everyone knew now that they pretty much allowed it to happen. So, yikes! But. Aside from all that, despite all of that, the ultimate goal for the Texans this season, you have a new head coach in Lovey Smith. You pretty much have a new staff. You've you got a couple of decent pieces. But you want to find out whether your second-year starter in Davis Mills from Stanford could be a potential long-term option uh, for Houston. Um, but safe to say that um, you couldn't really figure out you couldn't really figure that out because the Texans talent gap was just so wide that you weren't you really couldn't figure out that answer um because yeah like i said the Texans talent gap was very wide it showed in just about every way davis mills was very inconsistent throughout the season one game he would look very solid the next game he'd be overthrowing his receivers his inconsistency allowed him led to him to get benched for a few games. Kyle Allen would come in, um, play, play, start a couple games, and then Lovey Smith realized Allen was way worse. And then Lovey Smith decided to use this weird combination of Davis Mills and Kyle Allen in games. Like, what the hell? Like, he would swap out his quarterbacks, like, after each series, like what? Like that's not how you uh that's how you pretty much ruin a, the chemistry on offense. If there was chemistry on offense in, in Houston. But anyway, the offensive line outside of tackle Laramie Tuntle, and I'd say Carry on Green did okay, um, was still one of the worst in the league. They couldn't they couldn't pass block, they couldn't run block, uh, they couldn't uh they couldn't provide open run links for shit. Um, Their defense allowed an average of at least 20 points each game, despite the additions of Steven Nelson and Derek Stingley Jr. They can't do it by themselves, Um, but Stingley missed the second half of the season due to injury. But despite being able to create a solid amount of turnovers, despite being able to, you know, tackle okay-ish, the secondary could never turn those uh, turnovers into points, at least on offense. And then, well, when it came to the actual results on the field, they, t- they managed to tie in week one against the Colts in a game that neither team looked like they wanted to win. The Texans went on to lose their next three. They beat the Jaguars in a game they also didn't look like they didn't want to win. And then they went on to lose the next 10 of 11 games. They seemed destined to get that number one overall pick. I think I picked the Houston Texans to be the worst team in the NFL because they were just that talent deficient. They were just that bad going into the season because they literally had nobody on that team aside from um, maybe Derek Stanley, maybe potentially uh, like if Davis Mills had showed something decent. But what they did was, was <laughs> to lose that number one overall pick. Somewhere leading up to Week 18. Somewhere leading up to Week 18, I guess Lovie Smith, I guess he knew he was going to get the shit can. But when he learned he was going to get the shit can, he decided to stick it to the Houston Texans. He decided to say, You know what? Fuck you, Houston. I'm going to take my ball. I'm going to walk onto that field in Indianapolis, and I'm going to have my team play to win. I'm going to have them play to win. I the Indianapolis Colts, And that's exactly what he did. They initially blew a double-digit lead to Jeff Saturdays Indianapolis Colts in Indianapolis. And the Texans' dumbasses went on to come back and win a useless final game and cost themselves the number one overall pick to the Chicago Bears. That's the Houston Texans for you, ladies and gentlemen. So unlike last season, um, where... With David Coley. There's basically no happiness. Basically no happy ending. No optimism. For this season. Under Lovey Smith. Because. This season was basically all about the tank. For next year. But then they fucked up the tank at the end. Thanks to Lovey Smith. effing over the Texans. Because he knew he was going to get fired. So he's like. You know what? I'm going to get fired. So. Fuck the organization. I'm going to screw you all in the ass. So. He ends the season. The Texans end the season with a two, third no three, thirteen and one record. I will say though, there were very few small positives. That one of those positives included uh, you had at least some potential in rookie running back Damien Pierce, who was basically the Thomas the Tank engine for that Texans offense. He was pretty good with the open running lanes uh, given to him, and he actually creates some himself. Uh, Safety Jalen Peter, um, that's how you pronounce his name, Um, he's shown flashes um, along with um, Derek Stingley Jr. in what was an otherwise putrid secondary. And one positive came in the Texans' early offseason, just a couple days um, uh, at the end of January. The Texans decided to settle on former 49ers defensive coordinator and former teammate D'Amico Ryans. So... I personally don't agree with Ryan's going to a crappy organization in the Texans, but Hey, he has many ties to them. Uh, He's played there before. Um, He he's a good leader of men. Um, He knows how to rally his troops. um, As many Niners fans have seen before. Um, He knows how to, um, he he knows how to build a defense over there. He knows how to to call, call really good defensive plays. Um, And, if he's just given an ample amount of time to help rebuild not just the roster, but the culture over there and not these one and done situations like Lovey Smith and David Coley have had, and maybe Houston can finally be a somewhat ever so slightly decent organization, maybe in, in several years. I don't know. But Hey, all I know is that, um, the McNair family are getting a shitload of money to make D'Amico Ryans, like, try out this rebuild thing. <laughs> like, damn, six years. A six-year contract, huh? Oh, man, I hope D'Amico Ryans is ready for it. So, anyway, you know, obviously for the Texans, they have a big offseason ahead ahead of them. Um, They got about $37 million to spend. Unfortunately uh, for them, if they want to take this rebuild seriously, they don't have that many uh, key... Uh, free agents to worry about. Um, All they have is uh, OJ Howard, the tight end, um, outside linebacker Ogbonia Coruanko, and center Scott Quisenberry. But other than that, it's like, they can pretty much let everybody go um, (laughs) unrestricted unless they want to keep them for reserve pieces because everybody was trash. You were pretty much going in. um, Nick Stereo was pretty much, again, these were bargain bin um, pieces to fill out what was, what, was supposed to look like a roster. And obviously, it didn't. So, pretty much for the Texans, what what they need to address in this offseason is pretty much everything. Everything. They badly need two top receivers and a tight end. Pretty much a whole offense. Pretty much a whole offense. They need receivers, a tight end, the rest of the offensive line to help out uh, Larry Tunzel, and... K Ron Green. And then looking at the defense, they need a starting corner opposite Derek Stanley Jr., an inside linebacker, and help for Jerry Hughes, John Greenard, and Malik Collins on that defensive line. At least in terms of depth. So they need just about everything. They need just about everything um on, on that roster. Because those bargain bins didn't do shit for them. And then the other important thing for the Houston Texans is that what are you going to do um, at quarterback? Do you want to stick with Davis Mills for another year? Or do you want to use the second number, uh, second overall pick to get a quarterback? Um, because whatever the Bears do with the number one overall pick um, will be a, obviously be a contributing factor on what the Texans will do with the second overall pick. I mean, granted, they will go for a quarterback. It's just a matter of which one. Are they going to go for a CJ Stroud? Are they going to go for a Bryce Young? It's just a matter of who's available by then. Um, given, Assuming that n- not another team that has traded up to the number one overall pick has gotten their, the quarterback that the Texans were looking at. So for the Texans, they have to decide whether to stick with Davis Mills or grab, uh, at least for another year, or get use that number two overall pick to get one, the, the second best or the, the best prospect that's left in the NFL draft. So overall, I mean, we, we knew the Texans were going to be shit in 2022. They, we all knew they were going to be crap. But I will say, you know, if they can be this competent, if they can be competent enough um, this offseason, like, how, and however they use it, There can be a little bit. There can be a little bit of hope in this organization. And a little bit of hope in the fan base that they have. They do it right. The McNair family can build towards a brighter tomorrow. If they do it all wrong in years past, well, expect a never-ending road of misery. Our next team on this list is the Arizona Cardinals. I'll start by saying this. I'll, I'll pose a question. Do we all remember... That 7-0 start that Kyle, Kyle Murray and Cliff Kingsbury had in 2021? I do. And do we all remember that 4-6 uh, and six end to the season that they had? And then they got boat raced in the playoffs on national television on a Monday night. I certainly did. Well, it was another edition of Cliff Kingsbury's late season chokes. The second straight one that the Cardinals were trying to avoid. In 2022. But the problem was they didn't do much in free agency due to the limited salary. They also lost DeAndre Hopkins to a six game suspension for uh, violating an NFL uh, performance enhancing drug policy. And well, to try and compensate that, they got receiver Marquis uh, Hollywood Brown during the 2022 NFL draft from the Ravens. And then to try and compensate that even further, Kyler Murray and Kingsbury were rewarded for <laughs> their success um, from the last couple of seasons with big, fat contract extensions during the offseason. And Murray got a even fatter one. And we all remember the notable homework clause that was originally in there. For, because, well, you know there are all those reports of Kyler Murray not taking his shit seriously and him playing Call of Duty all the damn time. So even then, everyone everyone was just, sim- I guess, simply expecting. My, that, my grand point is everyone was si- simply expect- expecting whether or not Kyle Murray and Cliff Kingsbury were once again, like they did the last two years, going to choke again. Choke again late in the season after a good run, a good start to the season. All safe to say that we didn't even have to wait till, um the end of the season, the late, the late second half of the season for that to happen because it happened at the start of the season. So it happened well, well, well throughout the season because the Cardinals were very inconsistent from the jump. I mean, Kyle Murray was, you know, typical Kyle Murray, finding it evading pressure out of the pocket, uses legs to uh, extend plays. Decision making, though, was very often iffy. Um, It didn't help that Murray was missing his top receiver in DeAndre Hopkins, sure. And third man, Rondell Moore, um, nursed a hamstring injury for a good amount of games. And he's still trying to establish something with um, Marquise Hollywood Brown. But still, it felt like Arizona lost a good amount of its identity as an air-raid aggressive offense. Not only that, it didn't help that the injuries began to pile up all season long. You know, starting center Ronnie Hudson played four games, but eventually got placed on injury reserve. Rondale Moore, again, only played eight games before being placed on injury reserve in December. Uh, starting safety, uh, Buda Baker and corner Byron Murphy also missed the last few games of the season. Zach Ertz towards ACL in week 10, uh, most notably Kyler Murley towards ACL and MCL in week 14. And backup Colt McCoy also missed time late in the season due to concussion. Never got out of the concussion protocol. So, yeah, they were also very injury riddled th- throughout the season. But even with all the injuries piling up late in the season, uh, or as inconsistent as the offense was, um, sometimes they would do. Um, sometimes they do pretty bad. Um, they went like Murray would miss uh, often miss his receivers. Um, Murray would turn the ball over. But then you'd have moments like where Murray um, led like, this crazy comeback against the Raiders. And then the next week, he wouldn't show up against the Rams. But, even after, again, even after all the injuries were piling up late in the season, the Cardinals were still cutting it close in their final few games of the season. But it was the coaching decisions of Kingsbury, along with the limitations of what they had during that portion, that undid them. I will say, the one positive of Arizona's season was that defensive end J.J. Watt at least got to have a solid impact in his final two games against the Bucks and the 49ers. Yes, J.J. Watt decided um, he was going to retire um, at the end of the season. But still, Arizona finished with a very disappointing 4-13. Um, and yeah, well, it was a very disappointing one, mainly due to injuries, mainly due to the inconsistency of the offense, at least it lets you something more positive. The Cardinals finally fired Cliff Kingsbury. Even though it should have happened after they lost in embarrassing fashion against the Rams, at least they finally got it done. Um I'm just glad. I'm just glad it finally got got through. But whether they found the right replacements, um, it's still to be determined um by how they do in the offseason. They they found their new general manager in Monty Osinfort. Uh, why they why they got a new GM because uh, Steve Keim, the the other general manager um, Went on a personal leave um, late in the season and then he eventually resigned um, Austin Fort was a longtime scout for the New England Patriots He last served as a director of player personnel uh, for, the, uh, for the Tennessee Titans So this will be his first general manager job um, but, So he at least kind of has some experience um, for a Super Bowl champion and then replacing Cliff Kingsbury as head coach is former defensive uh, coordinator for the Philadelphia Eagles, uh, Jonathan Gannon, who was hired just two days after a Super Bowl appearance. But just keep in mind, though, um, his touted defense, his pa- top-ranked passing defense got torched uh, by Patrick Mahomes. But then again, it's just it was Patrick Mahomes. So these two are coming in into what's going to be uh, interesting offseason. Um Kyler Murray, I, I'm not sure how his recovery is gonna be with the, the torn ACL, but I think looking back at Carson Wentz, I mean it's not not a fair comparison by per se, but I'm just saying that when Carson Wentz towards ACL in week fourteen of twenty seventeen against the Rams, he didn't come back until I think it was week three of, of the twenty eighteen season. Murray it in week 14 against the Patriots. So I imagine a similar timeline uh, is, is in order. But again, people will recover in different ways. So it, it still is kind of imperative that the, the Cardinals kind of plan towards Murray being out at least the first two or three games of the season. So the problem is, though, they don't really have much cap space to work with. They have around 13 million, which is kind of modest, but still have some key things to address. Some of your uh, free agents to look out for is defensive end Zach Allen, a key, kind of a key piece um, in the, the pass rushing rotation in um, 2022, along with uh, J.J. Watt, uh, corner Byron Murphys, a free agent, kicker Matt Prater, and punter Andy Lee. So pretty much your whole special teams unit right there. Um, some of the things that you need to address um, this offseason is mainly the defense um, because last year's free agency loss of edge rusher Chandler Jones um, you know, it left the pass rush something to be desired. Um, sure, J.J. Watt went on a, a good run uh, late in the season, and Zach Allen was solid, but they, they didn't really have much on help on the interior. So they they could use certainly use some help um, when it comes to defend uh, interior uh, interior rushers. Um, and Zach Allen's set to be a free agent, and I, I think Arizona can sign him to a decent deal. Um, and maybe potentially get a big name on the market. But who knows? They mostly have their starters intact, um, but they should add some depth with a lot of help, uh, a lot of them come heading for free agency. And then they should find a backup quarterback for Colt McCoy until Kyler Murray is healthy enough to return. So like I said, it seems like Kyler Murray should be coming back around week three or four of next season, if the math is correct. But in the meantime, McCoy McCoy's going to be running the offense for the first few games of the season. And if he gets hurt again, Arizona should want to sign someone at least reliable. Maybe draft somebody in the much later rounds of the draft, depending on what they have in store. Because their third or fourth string quarterbacks in Trace McSorley and whoever it was we played against. um, The Niners played against Arizona in the last game of the season. It didn't look good. It didn't look good. So for Arizona, yeah, they finally ended the Cliff Kingsbury reign of terror. Maybe a year too late. I don't know, but it's finally over for them. Um, but now we get to at least see Kyler Murray. What can he do under a new head coach? It he might have to wait a couple of games though, because you know, still recovering from the torn ACL. But that coach, in Jonathan Gannon, is going to be facing that early challenge. Um, obviously. He has to restock on his defense. Um, he's also going to have to retool his offense on what's going to be at least the first three weeks of the season uh, in, tw- in this fall. It's a new dawn in the desert. Um, let's see how the, the Cardinals handled this offseason um, in terms of adjusting uh, to at least a few weeks without Kyler Murray in the regular season this fall. Um, if the wings spread or if they further die for Redbirds in Arizona so now let's talk about uh, the team that had a very um, very bad and a very also interesting um, season and that is the Indianapolis Colts so when I talked about the Indianapolis Colts in my preview in last year in July a lot of their 2022 was going to be dependent on how newly traded uh, quarterback Matt Ryan performed yeah, we already had most you already had most of the team um coming back from 2021. Um it was just a matter of who was going to be the quarterback because you you shipped off Carson Wentz to the Washington Commanders and we all know how their season ended. Um last year when they had a playoff opportunity on the line. So you were going into 2022 see how Matt Ryan could do on a new team. And not only that it it, it seemed like you're it looked poised for the taking that they could potentially ups, usurp at least somewhat kind of surpass the Tennessee Titans as at least for this season the team to beat in the AFC South and I, I think I predicted them to to do just that in 2022. Boy, was I wrong about that. Boy, was I absolutely wrong about this one, like, by a long mile. Because the team vastly underperformed with Matt Ryan under center from the very start, Um, from game one against the Houston Texans. Um, Why is that? Well, because opposing defense is easily focused on Jonathan Taylor, their top running back, and that made the offense very one-dimensional. It forced Matt Ryan, who looked, like, cooked, he looked washed. I'm sorry to say it. He 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 couldn't move. He could barely move around the pocket. He was turning the ball over more frequently than usual, and he was under duress a lot. He ate so many sacks, mainly due to the underwhelming offensive line. So, the Indianapolis Colts were underwhelming so bad. Ryan was having a very disappointing year. A uh, very disappointing first couple of games of the season. Hit that he was getting benched after a week seven game to the, against the Tennessee Titans. Frank Reich, the head coach, would make one last pull. Uh, one one last desperation play. Um, that saw Sam Elger, the backup, um, start. What ended up being Frank Reich's last game before he ended up getting fired. After they were hammered by the New England Patriots in week nine. So... My question, my question was like, you had Nick Foles on the roster. Why didn't you start Nick Foles? Nick Fales, fails, F-A-I-L-S. <laughs> it's like, yeah, Nick Foles there too with Matt Ryan. Like, why didn't you start Nick Fails? I, I don't know this this team, man. So, anyway, you you fired Matt Frank Reich midseason, even though, uh, yeah, his coaching, yeah, it wasn't great. But you didn't have like you didn't really have a quarterback to work with. Yeah, you know, the offensive line was really underperforming. But rather than replace uh, Frank Reich with someone on his staff, owner Jim Ursay did something really out of the box. It actually made for some interesting TV. He instead hired someone with absolutely no head coaching experience. So he pretty much did what the Texans almost did in last year's offseason. He hired a head coach. With none experience whatsoever, he hired ESPN analyst Jeff Saturday. Yes, that is right. Former Indianapolis Colts offensive lineman Jeff Saturday. So I, everyone was shocked. Everyone's appalled. Even everyone at ESPN, it, Jeff Saturday's coworkers were shocked by this. There was they were kind of supportive, but they were disappointed by the Colts for doing this kind of move. But I mean, hey. The Colts somehow managed to win their next game against the Raiders. Um, That was kind of more so of the Raiders embarrassing themselves. But unsurprisingly, they lost the rest of their games, including giving up the largest lead in NFL regular season history against the Minnesota Vikings, 33 to nothing, which also included Matt Ryan participating in. That is so sad to have Matt Ryan be a part of two of the largest blown leads in not just Super Bowl history, but now regular season history. Like, that is so sad, dude. So Nick Fails would start the final three games of the regular season, but not even he could uh, make the offense manageable, and the Colts would finish 4-12-1. Uh, man. That's just sad to see. So, at least for the Colts, you know, they put themselves in position for a top four pick in the NFL draft. Um, but do you really expect a uh, general manager, Chris Ballard, to actually do something reliable with that pick? Um, we'll see. And I don't know if they picked the right head coach in former Eagles offensive coordinator Shane Steichen. I mean, he did work with Jalen Hurts, um, a MVP candidate. Um but then again, we don't know how he'll translate from a coordinator to a head coach. He had a decade of offensive coaching experience uh, with working with Philip Rivers, Justin Herbert, and again, Jalen Hurts. But this again, this is uh, his first head coaching gig. Going from coordinator to head coach is a lot different. But hey, I guess it's kind of a, a slight improvement over Jeff Saturday. I almost chose Jeff Saturday. To be the permanent head coach, like good God, good God. So, at least at least they kind of got a decent decent choice, but expectations are already high for for because they get like Jim Irsay gave him a big fat contract, a six year contract. Like what that? What is it with these first time head coaches getting big fat contracts for the rebuild? Like damn, damn. And they don't even have that much money to work with With to uh, start off this, this kind of rebuild-ish. $11 million. Not not a lot to spend there. Um, but they can actually get um, a good chunk. Uh, uh, they can add on to it, a good amount of it to add on because the team can get an additional $17 million, um by releasing Matt Ryan or if Matt Ryan retires. So if Matt Ryan retires or the Colts release him, they get $17 million, um, and they'll get around, like, at least $28 million. Um, they can also save an additional $14 million by releasing uh, Ryan Kelly and slot corner Kenny Moore. Um, they can find replacements for, for both of those guys anyway. Um, looking at some of your key free agents for the Colts, um, defensive end Yannick Nugakwe, um, who was a trade piece um, from the Raiders last year, and free, sa- uh, free safety Rodney McLeod. So not too many... Um, uh, key free agents. Um, I'm not sure if the Colts will want to si- re-sign them back. Um, either way, if they don't, they can always find replacements for them. Not too significant. So looking at some of their needs to address, obviously the biggest need for the Colts, just like it was last year, is a freaking quarterback. You're in prime position to pick a quarterback in the NFL draft. You're picking number four overall. You have a prime opportunity to pick the second best prospect. Whatever the Texans don't pick, you can get the next best thing. Their draft strategy should be getting a quarterback. A quarterback of the future. Whether it's CJ Stroud or Bryce Young or whatever the next best quarterback is. They cycled through several different quarterbacks in the last five years after Andrew Luck retired. And... None of them worked. It's time to settle on something long-term. Jim Irsay, Chris Ballard, wake the fuck up. It's time to settle on something long-term. Get your head out of your ass. Now, obviously, a lot of it will depend on when in the top four they will address it because of what Chicago does with the number one overall pick and whether or not the Colts want to trade up and get their guy right away. Either way. Their main focus has to be on getting a quarterback locked in for the future. Not, not after the draft, not before the draft, but the veteran quarterback in the NFL draft. And then you use the other remaining picks uh, of your draft to build around that future quarterback. Once they acquired the quarterback, they can use the rest of the picks to address supporting him. Getting another receiver alongside Michael Pittman and Alec Pierce. Getting a center, uh, getting uh, a couple more tackles all- along the exterior, maybe even getting a guard. So you got to address um, pretty much the whole offense this whole draft. Maybe getting a couple of more depth at corner and in, the, in linebacker, too, could help. It could go a long way. So for the Colts, they're disastrous 2022 and stupid as well. As anyone could have imagined, it kind of it it can help them depending on how Jim Irsay handles it. I mean, he has no one to blame but himself for the mess that he caused. And for whatever reason, he elected to keep Chris Ballard along as general manager, even though his assembly of a roster is part of the reason why the Colts are in this big mess. Why like why didn't Jim Ursay like fire Chris Ballard along, uh, alongside when he fired? Uh, Frank Reich midseason. Why didn't he even fire Chris Ballard at the end of the season? It doesn't, make any, it doesn't make any sense. So, well, well, the past is in the past now, but this is Chris Ballard's last chance to Avengers assemble a competent roster. And it's, well, he, he may have attained what we don't know yet a competent head coach for now that seems to know what he's doing. So, All I'll say is that if the Colts roster that shows up on opening day next season resembles the one that's either this bad as it was in 2022 or somehow even worse than the one that presented itself this year or this past year at least, then honestly, I don't know when the Colts are going to wake the hell up. Maybe they won't even ever. The horseshoe will just stay flat in the face on its sand, forever and ever. Amen. So the next team on our season recap part one is a team that I was actually looking forward to talking about. Um, probably the most interesting team on this list for when it came to season recaps. And that is none other than the Denver Broncos. Now, why do I say most interesting? Because we clearly have a lot more teams to talk about. Um, When it came to interesting seasons. And I'm going to probably say the term interesting a lot. But the Denver Broncos in 2022. Were a very interesting case. Because obviously. When you make a big time offseason trade. Like Denver did last year. In the offseason. When you go out and get a quarterback. From the Seattle Seahawks. In Russell Wilson. You give up a big haul. To bring him into the mile high. It seemed like. All of your quarterback woes since Peyton Manning retired after Super Bowl 50 were finally going to be resolved because you're bringing Russell Wilson to complement an offense that seemed like it had a really good quarter with running backs Melvin Gordon and Javante Williams and a receiving core led by Cortland Sutton and Jerry Judy and what Russell Wilson was lacking in Seattle. A good offensive line. Good protection. And on the other side, you still had that strong defense from 2021. And then you added even more with the likes of Randy Reed Gregory, um, in the pass rush and D, D- defensive tackle, DJ Jones and k1 Williams in-, in the secondary. So it seemed like, you know, with all those additions, um, and of course, especially Russell Wilson. And you got a new head coach in Nathaniel Daniel Hackett from the green Bay Packers. Um, when it, in his time as an offensive coordinator, um, It seemed like the Broncos were going to be well-equipped to challenge the Kansas City Chiefs in the AFC West. Probably they'd be the biggest challenger um, to the Chiefs in the division. And then the regular season came. And all I could say about the Broncos all season long, I guess it could be described in seven words. Yep, just seven simple words. Let me just say this. It was a little bit more understandable that Russell Wilson and Nathaniel Hackett, you know, they're still experiencing a little bit of growing pains when it came to the first regular season game. Ironically, that first regular season game was, interestingly enough, in Seattle. Russell Wilson's immediate return to Seattle against the Seahawks. Obviously, not getting that standing ovation. Um, getting that Kevin Durant-like return to the Thunder. Uh, um, when he he was with the Warriors, Russell Wilson kind of got that similar treatment when he came back uh, to Seattle on that Monday night to close out week one. And then the game happened, um, and it ended up being a prelude for what was to come for the rest of the uh, season. Questionable coaching, bad clock management, and a stagnating offense. Now, granted, the stagnating offense didn't really happen um, until... A little bit later in the fourth quarter. But those early quarters, you know, there's a little bit of sign of hope um, with that that Russell Wilson-led offense in Denver. But then the stagnating offense, you know, started to carry over uh, in the fourth quarter. And then it immediately come into full display afterwards in very uninspiring wins over the Houston Texans and the San Francisco 49ers. And by God, that week three game against the 49ers was Absolutely putrid football. Because it looked like Russell Wilson trying to run the offense like he did in Seattle, but he ended up looking like a scared little punk that didn't want to throw the football, that didn't want to throw it to the likes of Cortland Sutton because Sutton was his top receiver that he only trusted in not knowing that Jerry Judy was also a good receiver, even against weak-ass defenses. And it also became clear that head coach Nathaniel Hackett was well over in his head um, with these weirdly designed plays and going to the wrong running back that's not Javante Williams. And these again, going back to those play designs that Wilson didn't do in Seattle. And for Nathaniel Hackett, he couldn't adjust to certain situations and like regress back to those um, questionable coaching decisions that haunted him in that week one game against Seattle. Positively, though, the defense, as it was a year prior, became and remained the team's biggest strength. Um, DJ Jones and linebacker Randy Gregory um, were a strong pass rushing unit, despite um, the team trading away Bradley Chubb, the linebacker, at the trade deadline. And even though they lost uh, corner Ronald Darby to a torn ACL early in the season, you know, secondary, still a strong unit um, in takeaways and passes deflected. Headlined by a strong safety Kareem Jackson and corners Patrick Sertan II, second and k Williams But you know for as strong as a defense as you have obviously in the name of the game of the NFL today Offenses win new games And Denver For as big of an offseason as they had last year. They came into that regular season massively underperforming massively disappointing so They wanted to lose seven of their final nine games after the bye week because why? That offense, everyone thought they would turn the corner, but they still couldn't do jack shit. They still couldn't score a blind eye. Russell Wilson still played like a deer in the headlights, and they had no running game because well, Javante Williams actually was injured, he tore his ACL in week five against the Colts, and Melvin Gordon kept... Fumbling the ball. Kept turning the ball over. And he ended up getting released. So yet there was no running game. There was literally no offense to speak of. Because Russell Wilson was struggling that much. So it was bad. It was really bad for Denver. And to top it all off. Nathaniel Hackett was finally fired the day after Christmas. After Denver got mollywopped so bad by Scrubs on the LA Rams. Yes, it took the Rams scrubs to embarrass uh, the Denver Broncos that bad. And it also took Patrick Starr. Yes, Patrick Starr, roasting Russell Wilson for the Denver front office and the Walmart ownership group to finally show Nathaniel the Hackett the door. Yes, Nathaniel Hackett was fired earlier than that. No, it took Patrick Star it took a talking starfish, roasting Russell Wilson and Nathaniel Hackett on Christmas day to have the Denver ownership group finally show Hackett the Nathaniel the door. <laughs> at least he's gone, At least, at least he's gone. I mean, obviously it sucks to see people fired and all that, but when you're not doing your job, and doing it well. Sorry, you have to go. So, Hackett's senior assistant Jerry Rossberg took over as interim head coach, and the Broncos, you know, kind of looked more energetic on offense, especially Russell Wilson. You kind of saw what the Denver offense, you know, could have looked like um, all season long, and it took them the very last game against the Chargers to score more than thirty points. They looked. Yeah, like I said, they had more life in that offense. But in the end, it was just a very disappointing season for Denver. And that's why they're the most disappointing team in the NFL 2022 season. Underachieving with all that talent in the biggest way possible. Now, questions are rightfully abound about Russell Wilson and whether or not he's assistant quarterback of Seattle, Pete Carroll. But I would hold that off until I give it at least next season and perhaps even the next because Denver actually managed to hire Sean Payne, former New Orleans Saints head coach, as its next head coach. No, not Kevin James, (laughs) not Kevin James as its next head coach. I wish we all did. (laughs) But um, yeah. They actually hired Sean Payne as that hedge coach, but they did have to give up a, yet another crap ton of draft capital to acquire his services. But at least unlike Nathaniel Hackett, he is a proven commodity offensively. Um, he has worked with Drew Brees. Let's see what he can do with Russell Wilson. If Payne doesn't end up being the answer that Denver is seeking at head coach and Russell Wilson, then I don't know what is. And then we will know what, that answer of whether or not Russell Wilson was just a system quarterback. So now Denver has another big offseason ahead of them. Now that they have what could be a proper head coach for um, Russell Wilson. Now they have to like kind of build around that offset. It's kind of retool a little bit. They have a little bit of money, but not that much. They have about $11 million to spend. Um, not too many key free agents to um, keep track of because the only two that the Denver may be willing to keep around are defensive end Draymond Jones and strong safety Kareem Jackson. Maybe they do want to keep them around. Who knows? Maybe he's a franchise tag. We'll see. Um, there are a couple of things to address um, on, in the offseason. Like they could certainly use um, some more help at running back behind Javante Williams. Um, It was just a shame that uh, he went down to the torn ACL in week five because before that, he was getting the full load. And then Daniel Hackett decided to dick around um, with the running back uh, position because, well, he decided to keep going with Melvin Gordon, even though he had serious issues with uh, protecting the football. And then when Melvin Gordon got released, uh, because of that, they used a committee of Latavius Murray, Chase Edmonds, and then Tyler, Tyler Beatty, which didn't really work all that well, but Denver should have it starting, uh, running back in Javante Williams back, but they got to make sure they have, uh, a, a few reliable backups to fill in just in case uh, he gets hurt and, you know, to keep him fresh on the field. Um, you know, they could always retool the offensive line. Um, I mean, it was okay in 2022, but it never hurts to, um, get some help for Russell Wilson to keep him upright. You know, he's always a big advocate and usually adamant about having a good o- offensive line and added another rusher or two in the defensive line, Their pass rush, you know, it's still, it's still pretty uh, solid, but long-term you can't always have Randy Gregory um, going after the quarterback and you can't always have like just him and DJ Jones, like going straight after um, the quarterback. You got to get some help for them. Um, fortunately for them, Um, This free agency class is loaded with names like Marcus Davenport, Brandon Graham, Justin Houston, Jadavion Clowney, uh, in the pass rushing community. So, you know, they can get some of those um, names, whether it's in the bargain bin or if they can free up some cap space, maybe get one of those big names. So the Broncos at least admitted that that the the Hangout Hackett experience was a Hackett of a failure, but now this new ownership group and Sean Payne, the head coach, now has to prove that they can undo what was hacketed in the last year. That all starts with free agency, and if they can restructure a few contracts and address some of their key needs in, in their organization, then I think Denver, in my opinion, should be on track to earning back some respect next season if not then we'll probably um see a lot more of their roasting that they'll get they'll absolutely deserve like they did this past season yeah, that's not what he wanted to cook. so our final team that we're going to be talking about today in part one of our nfl 2022 season recaps is another interesting case not as interesting as the last uh, team that we just talked about in the denver broncos but This team was the reigning, defending, undisputed Super Bowl champions um, from Super Bowl 56, and that is, of course, the Los Angeles Rams. So, for the Rams, they were coming in, having every right to be the utmost confident, because, well, like I said, they were the reigning, defending, undisputed Super Bowl champions of Super Bowl 56. But, you know, in free agency, they were like tight on money, they were tight on draft picks, and as such, they lost a couple of key players, like left tackle Andrew Wiffworth, who retired a champion, and they lost a couple pieces in free agency. The most notable one being linebacker Von Miller to the Buffalo Bills in the offseason. But despite all that, you know, the Rams had a good shot at the time to repeat, and that's how I kind of saw it, because of how weak the NFC was shaping up to be, you know, you had a lot of uncertainty at quarterback. There are a lot of teams that didn't really feel like playoff contenders at the going into the the season. There are only like a few teams that felt like they can really compete um, in the playoffs and make a deep run at the Super Bowl. At the time, the Rams were one of them. So you know, despite all the the losses. In free agency that the Rams had. They still had a good shot at winning the division. And maybe making another run. At a title. Boy were we wrong about that. Were we really wrong about that one. Um, Because from opening night. um, Things kind of spiral. Slowly but surely. Opening night for the Super Bowl champions. Was a complete disaster. Um, The losses of Andrew Whitworth. In guard Austin Gobert. To the Panthers. Um. Made the offensive line a shell of its former self. They couldn't pass protect. Um, it allowed relentless pr- pressure from the Bills. Um, and Matthew Stafford got sacked seven times. Um, and they lost big. The, the worst uh, the worst loss uh, by a defending Super Bowl champion on opening night. As they got blown out by the Bills. But the Rams were able to bounce back with two straight wins over the Falcons and the Cardinals. Um, but, you know, those two teams weren't that great. But... They were undone by uh, only winning three more games after that. So for the Rams, it wasn't that great of a season for them. But a lot of, a lot of that had to contribute to a lot of things. Defensively, um, the pass rush was pretty much back to where it was prior to getting Vaughn Miller um, last season. Aaron Donald was back to being a one-man crew. And by doubling, doubling him, there was pretty much no one else to help him out. No one else to pretty much rush the passer. Per se, Jalen Ramsey was still one of the best uh, shutdown corners in the NFL. But there's no one else opposite of him. And well, yes, I I think Kobe Durant, um, at the op, at the other uh, corner position was, I think he was 50 He he still has room to grow. I think I think he has some solid room to grow as a rookie. So maybe uh, giving him another, maybe another year and. Maybe find someone else uh, to compete with him is a need for the Rams. But linebacker Bobby Wagner performed pretty well in his first season with the Rams in the pass rush and in coverage in the middle of the field, um, having a Pro Bowl kind of year. Offensively, though, that's where things start to completely spiral out of control. Um, the offensive line underwent multiple different combinations, primarily due to injuries. And just simply trying to get something to work, especially when you lost like two key linemen in Whitworth and Corbett. Uh, Center Brian Allen and tackle Rob Harvestine were okay. But like I said, it's hard to um, maintain consistency in the offensive line when you're trying to do so many different combinations. The Rams also severely lacked a running game. Like there was like pretty much nothing with Darrell Henderson, Cam Akers, the Rams were trying to trade at the deadline. They couldn't really net anything re- remotely positive um, for most of the season. Um their big res- their big name, uh passing uh receiving uh receiving signing in the offseason, Allen Robinson, you know, he was supposed to be the number two option. Um because well, Odell Beckham Jr., their 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 big signing midseason last year, uh he tore his ACL. And he wasn't expected to play all season. But like in Chicago with Allen Robinson, he massively disappointed. He was pretty much nowhere to be found. Um, (laughs) He's like a ghost in the passing game. And then you have top receiver Cooper Cup. He remained the team's most reliable option. But he was lost for the season due to a high ankle sprain uh, after week 10. So that was um, really unfortunate. It really took away pretty much the whole offense for um, the Rams. And then it took an even bigger blow uh, with Matthew Stafford. Um, He wouldn't do do as well due to the lack of an offensive line, um, causing an uptick of him just eating the ball and being baited into turnovers. And he would just later go down as well, twice to concussions, and then eventually on IR with a spinal contusion. Uh, Backup John Warford and Bryce Perkins um, couldn't move the needle um, in his place. That Sean McVay desperately needed um, But the Rams made one last gasp at their, As their season wore on They claimed Baker Mayfield uh, Who was released by the Panthers uh, Off waivers Just before their Thursday night uh, Was it week 13? I think it's week 14 It was a December Thursday night game Against the Raiders And Mayfield would lead a comeback win Over Vegas And But They didn't really do much after that other than a Christmas Day blowout win over Denver that netted Mayfield a Christmas MVP and got Nathaniel Hackett fired. But other than that, in between, um, Mayfield was as inconsistent as he was during his time in Carolina, um, even with the scrubs the, the Rams had left. So all in all... Um, the Rams limped to becoming the all-time worst Super Bowl uh, champions ever at five and twelve, surpassing the 1999 Denver Broncos. But I mean, hey, the ring is the most important thing. And this is coming from a Niners fan. You know, at least you know they have the championship, even though you know they pretty much blew their load with the money, um, blew their load um, with the draft picks, like training for all these pieces. But I mean, I guess at the end of the day. You have, um, a, a very recent uh, Super Bowl championship. <laughs> I mean, like I can't talk as a Niners fans. I can't talk shit that much about y'all. You didn't make the playoffs, but you got the you have the ring at the end of the day. You have the championship. So, what what did we Niners fans get? Oh yeah, we made the playoffs, but again, we didn't come to our ultimate goal, which was winning the Super Bowl, and. Yeah, it is what it is. So for the Rams, though, you do have a crap ton of questions to address um, in the offseason. But you're going to have to do so already being in the negative uh, in terms of salary cap. You have to figure out how to get back into the green because you're like you have like negative 15 million. You're like over the cap. You're like over 15 million dollars in like. Negative cap space, so you got to figure out who you're going to restructure which contracts to restructure. I imagine it's going to be Matthew Stafford or Cooper Cup, or maybe even Aaron Donalds. Um, but either way, you got to figure out how to get back under the cap. Um, the good thing for the Rams is they're getting their key Sean McVay is coming back, so that's always a good thing for them. Um, look at some of your key unrestricted free agents. Um, pretty much, it's your whole special teams unit, like kicker Mackay Gay, uh, puncher Riley Dixon, um, corner Troy Hill, and probably perhaps their most important free agent, um, unrestricted, is probably Baker Mayfield at quarterback. Um, because I think, well, Matthew Stafford's probably gonna um, play again in 2023, but you know, it's never, it's never an issue, you know, to have Baker Mayfield as an insurance option, I guess. Um, in the event that you know maybe he wants to spend another year as a backup to to Stafford, you know, get some uh, maybe learn a valuable a valuable lesson um, or something. So maybe that's something the Rams want to address And the offseason. Do they? Does Baker Mayfield want to resign with LA on a on a cheap deal? Do the Rams want him back even as a backup? The the and vice versa. That's the thing that the Rams have to decide. And the Rams should revamp the offensive line. They can really use a left tackle to replace the void left by Andrew Whitworth. They can also use two more guards to come in and compete with the ones currently on the roster. They they have to find the protection needed to protect the quarterback. They can't have Matthew Stafford or if it's going to be somebody else. They, but it is going to be Stafford. I mean, I'm just saying. I'm just giving hypotheticals. You can't have Matthew Stafford running for his life um, and getting so many sacks because your offensive line couldn't pass protect. You have to use this off season, um, even with the little amount of cap space you may have, and they do have a little bit some of draft picks. You have to use all your resources to invest in the offensive line, and perhaps also find Aaron Donald some help in the pass rush. As mentioned already, the Rams already reverted back to. Um, where they already were prior to getting Vaughn Miller. And Aaron Donald's back to being a one-man wrecking crew, um, unless you're doubling him. So they need someone either right next to him in the interior or someone opposite of him on the other edge to help ease some of that pressure off of him in the pass rush because he ain't getting any younger, you know. So you want to help him out. So the good thing for the Rams is that most of, at least half or most of their um, roster is already locked up um, in, into into deals. There aren't many decisions to be made in free agency. Sean McVay is coming back um, as head coach, so they don't have to worry about him uh, reti- retiring, going to broadcasting, and all that. At least for this uh, this coming year in in September, they should be able to address most of their needs through the draft. They this year they'll have a second round pick. A second round pick compared to. Last year where they blew their load and then they they had to wait till late um, In the third round to start drafting shit So at least this this year they'll have a solid amount of picks this time around And in free agency, they'll probably have to like restructure some contracts to get something going They also have hope to have Matthew Stafford uh, back for for the offseason when the offseason program starts Um, And if he's healthy enough to do it and well Like I said, obviously, it's, well, not the the season the Rams are hoping for in terms of defending their Super Bowl title. But if they can avoid the injury bug uh, to its starters and address the offensive line, most importantly, then perhaps the Rams can get back to competing in the NFC West and perhaps competing for a playoff spot in the NFC. So that is it for part one of our 2022 NFL Season Recaps here on Very Cold Lasagna, episode number 132. What did y'all think about all the six teams that we talked about here today on this episode? We talked about the Chicago Bears, the Houston Texans, the Arizona Cardinals, the Indianapolis Colts, the Denver Broncos, and the Los Angeles Rams. All those teams, those unfortunate citizens down in the dumpster fire that is Dumpsterville. Let me know if, you, if you're a fan of these teams. Let me know how they personally did in your eyes. Whether it's a comment on YouTube or a message on social media. I'm at Dil, uh, Very Cold lasagna on social media, on Twitter and Instagram. Send me a message there. I'd like to know your thoughts on, on this episode. So, anyway, that's the end of part one. We got about 25 more teams to go. <laughs> and... A whole lot of more stories to tell on these teams. That is to come. So anyway, this is Dill Lasagna of Very Cold Lasagna. Thank you for tuning in to episode number 32 of this icy yet spicy podcast. And as always, keep that lasagna very cold in the fridge with your takes on the world of sports. And until the next episode, peace out.